The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with a returning guest. He's not here frequently, but I have him back, what, Stan, every two every years year or, so? or so? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it, it's been too long since we had Stan Krejci is the principal of the Krejci Group, and you can find him at thesksgroupllc.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, last name K-R-E-J-C-I. Stan, welcome back, man. Delighted to be back with you, Mark. Stan and I always talk primarily about one thing. Stan helps companies of all sizes put together boards of advisors and boards of directors, so advisory boards and voting boards. So, Stan, give give the people, uh, remind them, if you will, a little background on you and how you got into this and what you do. For the first 30 years of my career, I was a CFO for three companies. And when we sold the last company 27 years ago, the executive search firm that had placed me there suggested that I consider being a search associate. And I said, well, I'd never done it. And they said, well, why don't you try it? And so I did. And I ended up ultimately at the McCormick Group. And it was there that I was doing business development, placing finance types, and got involved with the board of directors practice. And 10 years into my tenure there, I had to have my aortic valve replaced up at the Cleveland Clinic. And I decided at that time, if I survived, that life was going to have to be a little different. If there were stress, it would be self-induced, maybe a little bit from my wife, but definitely not from the firm. Right. So I made an arrangement with them to take on the pro bono work that I was doing with college kids to help them find uh, uh, and prepare themselves for their first job opportunities after graduating, and then took on potential candidates uh, for consideration who were rough-cut diamonds in some respect and work and have been working with them to uh, polish them up and then in some cases giving them back to the firm or placing them myself, both from a full-time perspective or a consultative perspective and then also from a board perspective. So I restarted my board practice some two years into my own practice, which I've now been doing for uh, 12 years. And I focus on both the individual and the, the company. The individual, again, helping him or her position themselves for the next opportunity, mm-hmm. and then companies uh, to help them uh, determine, number one, whether they should have a board, or if they have a board, do they want replacements, um, and if there's a need for board training or remedial activity or replacement work, that's what I do. Okay. So when you say uh, positioning them for the next opportunity, what do you mean there? Well, I have two types of uh, relationships with individuals. One is career consulting Mm -hmm. in which I work with individuals who 
have an opportunity to carefully assess what's next for them, what's best for them. Gotcha. And uh, we can do it at their pace, and they generally have some resources to enable them to do that careful assessment. Whereas those who are in transition uh, have a need for uh, moving quickly to find that next opportunity to generate the income that they need. And then the board part of it is they help individuals position themselves for board service going through all of the, the, the due diligence issues about what board service is and means to an individual who might be asked to serve on a corporate board. On the other side of the equation is where I work with companies both uh, uh, to help them build advisory boards dash governance or build their first voting board, whatever it is that they want at that particular time. Of course, a publicly traded company has to have a voting board, but private companies can go either way. Okay. So um, let's start with smaller companies. Um, What's the smallest company size that you would work with to assemble a board? Generally speaking, it's in the $20 million revenue range because it's at that time that they have probably the free cash flow that they need to pay for good board service retainers. And although I have built four companies that have specific requirements or needs because they're moving toward an exit strategy or whatever, and those occasionally are in the 7 to $10 million range. But $20 million is an, is an ideal place to be. And that's because not only are they do they have free cash flow, but they also are in a situation where they're looking for uh, uh, augmenting their own staffs with highly talented individuals who've walked the walk already and to help them move to the next level of growth. Okay. So um, that's intriguing for a variety of reasons. Let's look at the uh, the company that is looking at the exit plan. If you're uh, a seven to fifteen million dollar company and you think it's time to exit, um, what is the need of the board there? What what skills need to be brought to the fore? Well, in in that case, because their own staffs are pretty limited in knowledge and experience in developing a strategic plan to exit at some point, a board, an advisory board dash governance in this case, uh, would be very helpful to them because you bring in people who have built companies at least five or six times greater than the size of the company on whose board they're going to serve so that they know the ins and outs of what it takes to grow and then to develop that strategic exit strategy, which could be a three, five, seven-year plan. And they bring that knowledge with them to the boardroom. Okay. Um, so when, when you're dealing with the $20 million company versus the $50 million, is the board makeup dependent upon the niche they're in or – uh, shortcomings in the management staff or what? Generally, all of what you've just said. Okay. Uh, but I it, must remember the last interview. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what's important to know is that regardless of the size of the business, uh, 
is is that the entrepreneurial founder or the professional manager who's replaced that entrepreneurial founder has to recognize that they need to be surrounded by people who have more experience or expertise in areas in which they don't. And that is a great way to build the board. So, for example, when I build a board, I meet and spend a, a lot of time with the founder, the CEO, to determine what their needs are and what their overall objective is for the company. And it's at that point that we develop or I develop uh, what I call board seats. And they could all be C-suite people. They could all currently be CEOs or recently retired CEOs. But each of them brings a uh, specific skill, financial management, marketing, technology, strategic planning, whatever the, the need of the company is. So that when I'm doing the search for candidates, and I usually bring between three and eight candidates per seat to the company, uh, they, the people that are interested in serving have read the position description, the seat definition, as well as the duties and responsibilities document about what the, is expected of them and what they can expect from the company. And that's how that process begins. It really augments the knowledge base of the company. Okay. So how often do you run across owners that think they have more skills than they actually possess? It's interesting. Generally speaking, few because by the time they touch base with me, they have they know somebody, something's missing. They know something's missing. They have talked to other people who have maybe built an advisory board, uh, dash governance. And the reason I say dash governance is, is that I don't build advisory boards dash business development because they generally don't last long. So this is a governance advisory board is run as if it were a voting board. They do everything but vote. They have board books and minutes and meeting agendas, committees, strategic projects, et cetera. But when I'm looking for those, uh, the, when, when I talk to these people, uh, they've already come to the conclusion that they need to have some additional talent uh, to surround them who have walked the walk that they want to walk. Mm -hmm. And it helps them get there much more quickly, much more cost-effectively, and helps them achieve their goal in an easier fashion because there's somebody there who can say, well, you should do it this way or you shouldn't do it that way. Uh, here's our experience or my experience, and we want to save you from making those errors that we made along the way to get to where we wanted to be. Cool. We're going to take our first break. You're listening to Tower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Stan right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Stan Krejci today. Stan is an advisor to companies that need boards of advisors, uh, voting boards, or advisory boards, and uh, and that's what we're discussing. So I, I wanted to wrap this up, this, this one part. How do you know when you're ready or need a, a board? And you had a couple of more points you wanted to make. Well, I think the major point that I want to make is that the entrepreneurial founder has 
been tossing around in his or her head that they want to make an exit, whether it's a small company, a mid-sized company, a large company, and they don't know how to go about doing that. Now, there are services that will provide that are available to you out there to help guide you along the way. But the board, an advisory board, generally is made up of people who probably already done it and are uh, much more intimately involved uh, with you as a board member in helping you plan for that exit strategy. And they are very good at saying along the way, well, you as the CEO might say, well, we want to do this or that, or we want to invest in this or that. And the board members may collectively or individually say, if you do that, that might in the long term affect the multiple related to the sale or the exit package and save you from making a mistake and also enhancing the value of your business. So it's when they realize that they need some guidance uh, and it's independent guidance. These are people who are only beholden to you as the chair of the board and have generally no vested interests other than being a board member and ensuring that they achieve their objectives on behalf of the company that have been laid out before them by the, the, the company. Uh, and so they bring independence, independent thinking, which you don't necessarily always get from your own C-suite staff because they're always wondering if I say this or that or agree with this or don't, what impact is that going to have on me? Yeah, it's an internal political payment. Right. And so the external board of independent directors is there to analyze your thoughts and ideas and direction and give you the wisdom of their experiences. Okay. That's kind of neat because I I can relate to part of that because occasionally I'm still brought in to – review the overall marketing strategy of a company, and this would usually be a mid to a large firm in the government market. And they're doing that, and and oftentimes it's the marketing people who are bringing me in. So they want validation that what they're doing is right, uh, justification that they're doing it's right, or they want to know where the warts are. Because uh, they're getting ready to present the plan upstairs, go for the budget, and that's all I do. You know, the marketing to the government side. But that that is a critical piece of a long term strategy for the company, and a company may not have any desire to exit or to be sold or to be merged. They just may enjoy the continuing growth of their business, but they still. As they move through this process, the original entrepreneurial founder invented a product or service and they need to continue to add to the market basket of opportunities right. because that is what increases revenue, increases profitability, and, increase in, and increases the valuation of the business in the long term. So the marketing of the product or service is truly one of the critical elements of the development of a strategic plan. How are we going to go from here to there? And that to there may be 
an exit, or it may be we've reached that plateau of growth or that goal, that objective of growth, and now we're going to have a new objective for right. growth. Rather well, than what selling, is you may buy. You could buy. You could continue to enhance your market basket of products or services. Correct. Yeah. So when I when I when I run across uh, small businesses, particularly uh, one product software companies that want to bring me in to help them come into the government market, my first question to them always is: Are you a ramp and grow, or are you a ramp and sell? Because my marketing advice may change predicated on that answer. And I think those are correct questions to ask. And and it's interesting the companies that want to have and surround themselves by independent directors are companies that really are interested in growth and growth, whether it's for long-term continued growth or to be involved in some sort of exit. It's lifestyle. There are a lot of lifestyle companies out there. And they're not interested in um, anything other than sort of almost the status quo. And if they grow a little bit, fine. But their objectives are completely different than uh, another uh, company like the ones you're talking about. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've, I've advised the lifestyle ones as well uh, on the marketing tactics that will help them maintain. You know, a certain uh, uh, visibility factor is required regardless of where you are in the market. But what determines the type of visibility is the part of the market that you're in. So if you're in the IC, you don't want that overt visibility. So, you know, the intelligence community doesn't really care for that. If you're at USDA, you know, in agricultural marketing, you very different scenario. So, Correct. But lifestyle businesses, you're, you're exactly right, are extremely prevalent here. So let's uh, get into the value proposition here. What's the value of an advisory or a voting board? I think the most important value that the board brings is an expert group of people to the attention of the CEO, entrepreneurial founder. And they are, as I've said before, independent, not beholden to anybody other than to help that entrepreneurial founder, that professional CEO, achieve the the objectives that have been laid out before uh, for the company. And getting that kind of advice is crucial because they are giving you honest advice based upon their own experiences, both good and bad experiences. They don't want you to fall into some of the uh, or traps that they've experienced or the difficulties that they experience in their own uh, development. So number one, it's quality advice. And it is with that quality advice comes the confidence building for an entrepreneurial founder or even a professional uh, CEO, uh, giving confidence to the decision-making process of that CEO is one of the huge benefits that it devolves from the board, and that is is that instead of saying that it took five months to make the decision, they're going to say, you know, that's a no-brainer. Let's just make it and move quickly because we're losing revenue just by 
holding off the implementation of whatever it is that we want to do. Right. So let's get moving. Right. We're, we'll back you. We understand it. It's okay. And that is an enormous plus for a company because in some cases, as you probably have run into yourself, uh, companies will study an issue to death <laughs> or uh, and by the time they get through make, ready to make the decision, the market has passed them by. The the perfection syndrome. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, um, what's the difference between an ad- no? Actually, we're going to take a break, um, and we'll I'll ask this question when we come back. Uh, you're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I will ask Stan the next question when we return. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I misspoke a couple of times earlier. Um, Stan's company is the SK Group LLC dot com. The SK Group, uh, and again, you can find them on LinkedIn. You can look up their website, the SK Group LLC dot com. And if if you're looking to to grow your company and develop a board, uh, you can't do any better. Than, than talking to Stan first. Um, so um, the question I was going to ask, what's the difference between, what are the definitions of an advisory uh, versus voting boards? Well, first of all, the for publicly traded companies, they are required to have a voting board of directors. And for privately held companies, you can go either way. You can have an advisory board or a voting board depending upon the, the state requirements. In some cases, uh, you in the Commonwealth of Virginia, you have to have a voting board, but it's generally made up of a couple of officers and they meet uh, to do the paperwork and so on. It isn't really a thriving it, living that, board. That's when you're incorporated? Yes. You need regardless of right. size. Mm, but an advisory board – dash governance is a board made up of highly talented, experienced individuals who are independent of the company, who have no voting authority or requirements. The professional CEO will listen to their recommendations and suggestions, but doesn't necessarily have to adopt them. Okay. So, even though when I build a company, because I think it's good practice and it good discipline to have an advisory board run as if it were a voting board of directors. As I said earlier on, they do everything but vote. We have board books. We have agendas. We have minutes. We have committees. We might even have strategic projects. But there is no requirement for the company to beholden to the advice that the board brings to them. Whereas on a voting board, every member has a vote and they can outvote the entrepreneurial founder uh, or the professional CEO. So all the big publicly traded companies are under those uh, rules and guidelines, which are pretty much laid out uh, for everybody from a government perspective, both federal and state. So the right progression is when you're small is and midsize is, and you aren't contemplating going public, it's just easier to have an advisory board uh, 
particularly in relationship to the reporting act aspects, legal reporting aspects of it, uh, of a publicly traded company. So it's more convenient for uh, the smaller companies. It's less onerous. Okay. So very rarely do we hear of women being uh, voted on boards. And it, it seems like when it happens, it's all of a sudden news. Let me, let me give you a scenario. Uh, CEO of a large reseller publicly traded invited me to present to the board. This is around uh, 98, 99 thereabouts. I walk into the room, and if you know me at all, you, you know that I have very little control of what comes out of my mouth. So I looked <laughs> around and said, guy's name, I said, whoa, dude, you know, there's a lot of white guys in here, really old white guys. And one of them, several of them knew me. One of them knew me really well. He laughed. The rest of them did not look amused in the least. So true story. Well, it, it, it's an interesting situation because I'm a firm believer in what I call balanced boards of directors. And the basic balance is related to gender, race, and ethnic background. Uh, but what I add as another ingredient is that specific skill set that they bring. So you don't want to be surrounded by um, three, five, seven independent directors, all who have a, are, are focused on financial management. Right. You want a balance of skills that are brought to the board. But in my case, when I make presentations, I try very hard to present to the board uh, per seat both w uh, men and women and people of color and different ethnic backgrounds uh, because I think it's important that they consider it. For example, one company uh, last year that I built a board for definitely wanted to have a woman on their board. And the staff of the company, the employees, said they wanted to see a woman on the right. board. And so ultimately, to make a long story short, they ended up with three women on the board and only one male. So it was, it was a real positive uh, sign uh, because they had a very deep portfolio of individuals from whom to select, and that's the direction that they went. Okay, but that that is the exception, not the rule. Correct. But the Washington Post, as I on at the end of uh, July, uh, had an article about women on boards, and that there is a slight uptick um, that uh, that they've gone from. 14, 16% up to 27% of board members today on a nationwide basis are uh, women, which is a really big forward progress movement because it was sort of stuck for a number of years at around 17 to 19%. Um, and I'm glad to see that companies are focused on this because I don't want them to have to go uh, us to go to the European model where they, by law, require, like in Germany, 30% of the board members have to be women, for example. So I think it behooves companies to be conscious uh, and conscientious about the selection process and to make sure that the slates that are presented to them are, are well-balanced. Okay. 
So um, it doesn't matter size-wise, right? Correct. So, um, but what about um, companies under $100 million? You made a point to me offline about um, oftentimes the, the CEO wants them more involved. If so, how and why? Well, first of all, the, the role of a board of directors member or members collectively is not to be involved in the day-to-day operations of the business. That's the responsibility of the CEO and the professional staff of the company. They are to be much more involved in the strategic objectives and the financial well-being of the company. I mean, Mm -hmm. the board's primary responsibility is the financial stability of the business. And is it a viable ongoing business? But under the smaller the companies, the more dependent the company is on uh, involvement with uh, the board members. And I like to call them shirt sleeves board members because they have to roll up their sleeves and they get involved. Not necessarily running uh, the day-to-day operations, but the CEO may have an issue uh, that affects the daily running of the business or a key personnel, and they want somebody uh, with whom they can speak uh, that will confidentially listen to the the issue and then give them uh, words of advice on how to conduct themselves. So they, they it brings an enormous value again to the the CEO and uh, in, in the smaller mid sized companies. The bigger the companies. Uh, the the more formalized the board process is, uh, the agenda setting, their involvement. Um, it's not as shirt sleeves as it is in the smaller, growing entrepreneurial businesses. Okay. We're going to take our last break, and we'll come back and wrap up right after this. I'm talking with Stan Creechie. You can find him at the skgroupllc.com. You can find him on LinkedIn. I suggest you do one or the other or perhaps both. And we'll return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower because nobody else volunteered. <laughs> I'm here with Stan Krejci. Uh, a longtime friend, I believe Ardell introduced me to you when I joined the Tower Club that, back many in years the ago, early nineties. Zowie, and and when I show up at the Tower Club, I go into the dining room. Boom, there you are, um, <laughs> at my table. At your table, you, yeah, yeah. Regulars at the Tower. Maurice has a table. Yes, Stan has a table. So um, I used to, but then I quit. I'll visit. You're so, always welcome. Oh, thank you. Um, so let's get to the crux of the matter here. I'm a consultant. I'm brought in on certain things. When when an owner has that particular itch that it's time for me to do this board thing, why is it better to bring in an outside advisor to help you do that rather than go the homegrown method? That's a very good question, Mark, because uh, so many – Companies like to take the homegrown approach, possibly for control, possibly to save some money. Uh, but I think the results over the years, 27 years that I've been doing this, uh, generally are not positive in the long run 
because they bring in people who are known to them. And as a result of that, that negates the independence uh, quality of a board member. So when I'm sitting down with a company, I lay out the groundwork for them uh, about whom I do not want to see on the board. So I don't want family and friends. I don't want lawyers or accountants, generally speaking, because each company already has those and they can invite them to any board meeting they want to. Right. And they, so you don't want to take up a seat for somebody who's already providing you excellent professional guidance and direction. Secondly, I don't like academicians unless they're from the business school and have run or are currently running on the business school campus um, a business. Um, Thirdly, I'm uh, – You're talking about all those guys that write books? Yes. Like me? (laughs) It's okay if you've really run a business. It's okay. You've had to have that experience of running a business. It's a lot different than analyzing and doing research and writing a book about businesses. It's still different than actually physically running the business. Yes. Um, Thirdly, I don't uh, – I'm cautious about um, uh, military unless the military have a real skill set that they're bringing. So a lot of – I have a program called the Civilianization of the Military where I work principally with – admirals and generals and some Navy captains and colonels. And the focus is in preparing them either for a a civilian uh, post-military career or for board seats is that it's not the number of stars that they're wearing, but it's the skill that brings the value uh, with them. And it continues, that skill continues to be enhanced by them. Whereas uh, if you don't have a dominant skill, uh, it's not going to be as satisfactory to you. Now, a lot of government contractors quite rightly invite recently retired generals and admirals to sit on their boards because they have uh, entree uh, for a while uh, to the Hill, to the DOD and what's happening. But – so I'm, I'm cautious about it is all I say. I'm looking for dominant skills, supply chain management, transportation management, intelligence activities, whatever it happens to be. Right. It's not just being the, the commander of 50,000 troops. Window dressing. Right, right. So um, I, I'm, I'm very conscientious about uh, those individuals that I'm looking at and what it really ends up being is that it is professional CEO, C-suite people who I consider uh, predominantly because they have walked the walk. They have built the business. They are the ones that have uh, the most expertise about how to handle roadblocks and detours or uh, they know when the banking relationship needs to be uh, upgraded or uh, – the accounting firm or the law firm or whatever. They, and they have access to uh, people um, in their communities uh, who can fill those bills. And it gets those companies 
to, let's say, they need a new banking relationship or one with a, a, a and and they can be introduced easily by um, their board members. So I'm always focused more on the C-suite teams mm-hmm. of people uh, because of the value that they bring uh, to the company. Okay. Um, but again, let's 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 talk a little bit about the the uh, the slots. You talk uh, about you know the the strategic planning aspects. Which aspects of this need to be covered? Let's let's talk maybe about a company that's a hundred million dollars on a growth curve, and they really want to break out of that smallish status into a solid mid tier company. Um, and they have a nice mix of government business. Well, that first part of my relationship with a company is to really get to know the company uh-huh. and to know the leadership and to know what their goals and objectives are. What is it long-term growth or is it going to be an, an exit strategy or a sale or a merger or whatever it happens to be? Once we, I have that knowledge, then – the building of the board uh, is a lot easier because I know what they need. So, for example, companies in growth, just based on my number of years of doing this, the, the, the seat definitions that rise to the top, one is strategic planning, one is financial management, one is uh, business development in the true sense of business development, which includes everything from uh, marketing and, and so on, um, sales and project management and all of that sort of stuff. But those right. are the three that r- rise to the top always. Um, then sometimes human capital management is a huge player because companies in growth um, – haven't been able to really hire and or have on staff uh, somebody who can help them plan their personnel structures and programs. They have a hiring manager but not the really senior. Right. They're not the person that sits on the strategic planning uh, committee, which they should because – People are still the critical element in all of these businesses. Right, and retaining key personnel is absolutely key to growth anyway. Exactly. And so human capital management is a big is a big is a seat that um, um, there's more calls for uh, expertise in that area. And then it can get into much more specific risk management, um, uh, technology, um, all of those other critical elements of a company, uh, but it's, again, based on need. And and generally speaking, technology is the least important because most of the companies have some technological background to them, and so they they have more expertise. They're much more knowledgeable about that, um, and so they don't need to surround themselves by people who have it. they may have a technology background, but that's not their principal focus. Right. So, um, wow, we've covered a lot of stuff. Uh, give me some final thoughts here. I think that a company that wants to grow 
regardless of the direction, ultimate direction it wants to go, a board, an advisory board dash governance initially is one of the greatest investments a company can make, uh, paying for quality service that they couldn't afford to bring a person on board for the uh, the retainer that they, they, they can pay to a very experienced person. So the, the company uh, benefits enormously from being surrounded by a group of people who have, as I've said early on, walked the walk. They give that confidence to the company to make decisions much more quickly, much more cost-effectively, and move more uh, quickly to their achievement of their strategic objectives. And so the value of a board is just exponential. And I look back now over the number of years that I've been doing this and see companies that they were a $20 million company and now they're a $150 million company and they'll tell me it's because of the board. The board, and they then independently have replaced some of the board members, that's fine. But they've all had growth as a result of being surrounded by um, highly into the right people whom they're paying an honest retainer to and are getting exponential value for those dollars that they're investing. There you go. Stan, thanks so much for coming in, man. I greatly appreciate it. Stan Krejci, the skgroupllc.com, and you can find Stan on LinkedIn, last name K-R-E-J-C-I. I suggest you reach out to him, particularly if you're if you're in that mood that uh, that you might want to consider a board, uh, this is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. I review marketing plans from a high level strategy uh, uh, level down to the tactics employed. Um, so, if that's of interest to you, migrating into the next FY, give me a shout. Reach me on LinkedIn or drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. E-commerce merchants, does consistent monthly growth while hitting ROI goals sound good? Here at AdRoll, our customers constantly let us know it feels good. AdRoll helps you attract new customers and bring shoppers back to finish the sale. Integrate your e-commerce store with AdRoll and manage display, social media, and native advertising all in one place. Sounds good, right? See the difference. Visit AdRoll.com to get started today.